Hurry up, your favorite show's about to start. Grab a Capri Sun, some Dunkaroos, and settle in for another episode of The Millennial Movie Club. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Millennial Movie Club. We were gone for a bit on a little summer vacay, but we missed you, and we hope that you missed us. We missed you terribly, so we came back for season two, you know? We could call it that if we want. We just really never got over you. Like, we tried, maybe tried another podcast that just, like, wasn't the same. We, like, listened to a bunch of sad songs. We just couldn't move on. Yeah. So we decided to come back. In case you're joining us for the first time or just want to know some stupid shit about us, my name is Jazz Zapatos, and I've been boy crazy since the day I was born. I spent much of my adolescence hanging out at a skate park, and never once did I skate. That's so cool. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it is, because I was, like, in love with any girl who even, like, looked like they might be into skateboarding as a kid. Even if they were just completely... Posers? Faking it to be close to the guys on skateboards. I think it's even cooler, <laughs> to be honest. In a similar sports vein, uh, my name is Dan Levine, and when I was a senior in high school, I decided to join the tennis team, and I had never really played before, and I got put on, like, the, like, fifth doubles, you know, it's like the worst of the JV team, and <laughs> I never lost a game. <laughs> so. I mean, maybe that is the way that everybody should try to be on a sports team. Like, just put me on the worst one, and then, but I will feel great. You know, I've never been defeated in an organized fashion. You're still undefeated. Right now, as I sit here, I am undefeated, yeah. <laughs> okay. I smell a challenge. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't, yes, I don't want to test that at all. Right. I'd like to remain yeah, I'd undefeated. I'd like to maintain. <laughs> How many years since you've uh, tested your title? Uh, one was high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I graduated in 2007. <laughs> What is that, like 14 years? Yeah, 15 years. Super easy to remain undefeated when you quit the sport. <laughs> yeah, I went out on top. Great. I mean, I'm proud of you. Thanks. Speaking of kids that should quit while they're ahead, <laughs> tonight, tonight we bring you a rousing review of a movie long forgotten until we bring it up. And that is Jungle to Jungle. Jungle to Jungle spelled with a number two. And I just found out that uh, that was Tim Allen's doing. He was like, oh, yeah, because they're going between two jungles. You know, it's and it's two places. Ew, dude. I guess Tim Allen was doing it before it was cool because then we were all replacing two with the number two, like on AIM. Yeah, right. Um, maybe this movie should have stayed forgotten. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I was like very adamantly pushing this movie on you <laughs> and because I really had high hopes. And everyone who I've told that we're going to do an episode on this is like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. And then I watched it and was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> also, like, I think probably because 95% of this movie went over my head. Uh, Absolutely. I didn't get anything from the first watch. No. To the point where, like, I didn't remember almost everything. I must have seen this in theaters and that was that. Like, I didn't return to this movie, and nothing stuck with me except probably the spider. Yes. I know there was some daughter canoodling and some and some stolen fish, but, like, other than that, pretty much all that the title suggests is all that stayed <laughs> with me, and the rest, I was like, wait, what? Also, yeah. like, so much of this plot is just, like, really not for children. Barely for adults, either. Like, right. I couldn't even understand. I, got, I was so confused for so much of this movie and i was like first of all this cannot be how the stock market works it certainly would go over kids heads and it's not compelling at all like it's confusing no, no. we have a really unlikable protagonist and a really forgettable villain who really is the villain i don't know the russian dude i guess there are like five unlikable adult characters in this movie that at different right. times are all kind of the villain so We'll get into it. The description of this movie reads, Manhattan broker Michael Cromwell is engaged to fiance Charlotte, but needs a divorce from his estranged wife Patricia, <laughs> who's been living in the Amazon with a native tribe for years. 
Michael travels to the Amazon and discovers he has a son. Teen Mimi. Teen Mimi. <laughs> For some reason, seeing his name spelled out is really funny. It looks like a character in an anime porn. Yes, it does. Teen Mimi Siku has big boobs jostled by <laughs> teacher. <laughs> like... When he gets cornered by a school of octopus or octopi. <laughs> Teen Mimi Siku's tiny little butthole destroyed <laughs> by Squid Alien. Played by Tim Allen. <laughs> it's just them like pulling clips from Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to come in and read any more like new lines. We can no, we got it from here. We have plenty yeah. of you. Thanks. Oh my god, I couldn't even get through the reading of this synopsis. All right. Ooh, this is gonna be an interesting night. <laughs> Teen Mimi Siku who begs to be taken no Yes <laughs> I didn't even have to craft an original title. Teen Mimi Siku who begs to be taken to the city to fulfill a quest for his tribe. At first, things don't go so smoothly for the kid from the jungle, but soon the boy and his dad bond. Oof. Oh, that was it. That, <laughs> that there's more. Okay. <laughs> nope. That was it. They left out the whole plot, the like whole the whole movie. secondary plot. Yeah, this was the first 10 minutes. Gene Siskel picked this movie as the worst film of 1997. <laughs> so. Yeah, Roger Ebert had some choice words. Choice words, which we will, I will happily report. So in terms of the cast and creative here, it was directed by John Paskin. He's an experienced TV director who broke into the field in the early 80s. He directed episodes of so many old school TV shows that we know and love. Family Ties, Growing Pains, Roseanne. He also produced and directed Home Improvement for the program's first two seasons. He formed a bond with Tim Allen, obviously. And then the two teamed up for this film and also the Santa Claus starring in this movie of course is Tim Allen as Michael or baboon as he's lovingly referred to by his son started in stand-up was on the massive sitcom hit home improvements and of course other classics from our childhood including the Santa Claus toy story Christmas with the cranks etc etc the cast was able to pick their own character names and I guess he really? picked Michael yeah well he's like what is a broker in new york he nailed it yeah martin short opted for the name richard i have to say martin short is probably one of the most talented physical comedians of all time i agree as much as this movie sucked he was like the saving grace martin short is so goddamn funny even if you put him in a movie that sucks like he's gonna figure out how to make it. Mm -hmm. and yeah it's the physical comedy it was so good he makes it his own every time he was a cast member on saturday night live he had a show called primetime glick where he created this like absurd character named jiminy glick on uh, comedy central he was in movies like three amigos he was also shared the screen again with uh tim allen and the santa claus three in the role of jack frost and as of late he is so fucking good on the show Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. If you haven't seen it already, it's so fucking good. Next up, we have young Sam Huntington who plays teen Mimi Siku. He's done some stuff here and there since then, but literally the only role that matters yep. is Ox in Not Another Teen Movie. Yes. And I did not know that it was the same kid, and I was just beside myself with glee it took me way too long to figure it out and then it's mm -hmm. all in caps like oh he's from another teen movie and he's one of my favorite characters in that movie true love's what i want the most <laughs> yes <laughs> i just say he's all so four of his lines from that film yes oh right. he's so good and he's very good in this film i he's will great. say that also i have to say the entire time I was watching him, he looked exactly like Eleven. Are you kidding? I, I Okay, I'll show you my note. It just <laughs> says that. It's the only one I have bolded. I can't unsee it. I'm so glad you said that. And it was very distracting, especially when he's like yelling at him. And I was expecting him to be like, you are like Papa. <laughs> right, right. Or he just like gets thrown into the air by accident or something right. like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Maybe Siku just starts like moving shit with his mind. <laughs> yeah, man, they are like twins. Yeah. It's uncanny. All right, moving along. Joe Beth Williams, wife to the director, also plays Patricia. We have seen her in Poltergeist, Lolita Davidovich playing Charlotte or Charlie, Tim Allen's fiance. We know her from Adventures in Babysitting. And she's Sam's mom from now and then. Oh, shit. Full circle. I didn't even realize until I looked up her credits. And then I was like, oh, my God. She's the slutty mom. Wow. She's the slutty mom in both movies, really. Yeah, that's right. And then, of course, Lily Sobieski. She plays Martin Short's daughter, Karen. And we know her from Never Been Kissed, Wicker Man, Eyes Wide Shut, Deep Impact. She's always over the years been leaning towards sort of the more intense roles little background information about this movie is it's a remake of this french movie called little indian big city the plot is exactly the same but it's set in paris rather than new york a couple more like fun facts about this movie they lost an entire day's worth of film because they accidentally left it in a taxi so that's cool and it was never recovered (laughs) why is it being transported by taxi right this is a disney production (laughs) right (laughs) i mean the whole production of this movie seemed very like it seemed really fun first of all like i watched all these interviews and all the actors seemed like they had the best time ever especially steve martin and tim allen who like steve oh, martin is not in the movie God damn it. he's like i was on vacation in bora bora while they were filming it was great <laughs> that could have been me um <laughs> uh steve martin again uh martin short and uh tim allen they like loved one another but it also seemed like it got pretty annoying they would just goof off on set and try to like riff off one another and the director was eventually like boys like i need you to do this scene like stop fucking around boys yeah children (laughs) men in your 40s get it together yeah it starts to feel like one big inside joke after a while when you have actors like that you know they're just like aren't really taking it seriously it didn't seem like they were probably because they knew how bad it was you know like when you're working on something and you know it's a joke like it's kind of hard to have your shit together yeah i mean they don't need to get into character for anything like it's not they're just reading the lines but the filming was pretty tough So the search for the rainforest involved like 20,000 miles, over 15 days of searching. And they eventually found this place in Venezuela. It would rain all the time and it would screw up filming. And also like there was these bugs that would bite people. And So wait, are we just, are we talking about mosquitoes or is there like an actual bug that was like a very specific bug that was biting people that was hindering production? Well, they kept talking about all these different bugs. Like Tim Allen would get bitten by these like really painful ant bites and then steve martin god okay that's the last time i'm doing that martin short said uh (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even catch it that time i'm glad i did we gotta do a counter now like (laughs) right (laughs) um martin short said somebody from the disney production said that there was like some insect that it bit you and then only a year later did you figure out something's wrong like you could live your whole life totally regularly until a year later when something terrible would happen to you. What the fuck? Yeah. All right. We'll cross Argentina off the list. Sorry. Venezuela. Sorry. <laughs> Steve <doing> Martin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Check that. It's been a long week, you guys. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. So they all lost a lot of weight because there wasn't any food <laughs> to eat there. Like <laughs> Steve Martin. Oh my God. Okay. That's oh the my God. Say that. Dude. Holy shit. <laughs> You're I'm just not, I'm just not going to say his name anymore. This is the last Wait. time I'm going to say his name. Um, Richard. <laughs> yes, when when Richard's actor, uh, when Richard's actor, <laughs> Richard's actor. Someone was asking him how the food was, and he was like, "I noticed there were very few cats there." Oh no! <laughs> Which, like, to me, it's like, how long did they really have to spend shooting there? Because the stuff in the rainforest was like. Five minutes of the movie is like just the very beginning and the very end. Yeah. I mean, I think that Martin Short only had to stay there for five days, but there were 70 days of filming there. What? I don't know what that means, though, but it seems like a lot. That is overkill. Yeah. Especially because those scenes are pretty forgettable. They're just like set up. Yeah. So it was kind of a shit show, but it seemed like everyone said it was really beautiful, but they just wanted to get back home. That's a really poor review of Venezuela. And the bad reviews don't stop there. There we go. Nice. (laughs) You knew it was coming. (laughs) Oh, man. Not a good review in the bunch tonight. We'll start with Rita Kempley of the Washington Post, who writes, 
ashes to ashes, dust to dust, jungle to jungle. Disney just doesn't know when to give up on a dead project. Wow. Jeez. And I mean, basically, like, everyone's just like, so it was a friend, the French film, the French version, which did really poorly. Yeah. So why are we going to try and redo a bad movie and keep it bad? So needless to say, this movie pissed Roger Ebert the fuck off. He seemed personally angry about this movie correct yeah he was like why did you why did you do this to me um gave it one star he writes the boy who is about 13 is still dressed for the jungle he wears only a loincloth and some feathers no shirt or shoes if memory serves he carries his deadly dart blowgun which is the sort of thing you're not allowed to have on an aircraft but never mind (laughs) did either of this child's parents stop to consider that perhaps the lad should have jeans and a sweatshirt for a 3,000 mile air journey why don't they think because no one is allowed to think in this movie not one single event in the entire plot can possibly take place unless every character in the cast has brains made of bacon bits jungle to jungle is too mediocre to deserve zero stars it doesn't achieve truly awful badness but is sort of a black hole for the attention span sending us spiraling down into nothingness oh, wow raj <laughs> i'm not even going to give you the satisfaction that it was bad yeah it's just nothing Yeah, I mean, listen, I didn't like this movie, but it's not, like, terrible. I think that he really didn't like the fact that they remade a movie that he really hated. He's like, I already told you no. How dare you defy me? I made my opinions known, and still you rebel against me. It is just kind of, like, nothing. It didn't offend me, but I was just like... This movie is nothing. If this movie didn't have any nostalgia factor for me, then it really would be nothing. But I got to look back oh my God. on it yeah. and be like, okay, I remember seeing this scene and it was kind of fun. But if I were to look at this like critically for the first time and it just came out, I probably would pan it the same way. Especially now where like things need to be really fucking interesting. If I'm going to look up from my phone while I'm watching it. Yeah. And let's just say if I wasn't writing notes, like I would have been balls deep in candy crush pretty much the whole time yeah we know where it's going pretty much know the end as soon as we see the first time that he meets his son to get there it's just like this meandering movie with this like horrible plot and just a lot of unlikable characters yeah like most of the characters are unlikable you have to be rooting for somebody and you kind of are for Mimi Siku, but it's not even like he has anything to overcome. Like, that kid is set. He knows who he is. You know, obviously he's conquering the city, but it's not like he needs to have, like, a whole crazy journey to, like, change himself. Like, he already has the right idea. We want to be more like Mimi Siku. Exactly. I mean, his storyline is trying to change his father from, like, a piece of shit to a good person. And he's not even trying. He's, like, by accident trying. I mean, they just didn't put in enough work with tim allen's character a lot of the choices that he makes in his like character arc are not believable and like he's phoning it in completely i mean i think he has some funny lines but that's pretty much it yeah so again it's not the worst movie ever but according to this next reviewer it's the second worst movie oh okay alice from amazon writes this film is the second most appalling film i have endured in my short life plays just fractionally under blue crush (laughs) don't bring blue crush into this yeah the film was so awful that i was hugely surprised to see that walt disney had produced this film i was aware that his standard of the films had been going downhill but this was complete and utter bilge to start with the characters were so hugely unbelievable and cliche the only thing i did enjoy in jungle to jungle was when michael allen shoots his cat (laughs) this in itself isn't funny it was the stuffed cat that was used that was funny it was funny It seemed that Disney had either run out of money or enthusiasm. In conclusion, if you want to see one of the most awful films made in history, then please go ahead and buy it. Waste your money. As I said before, this is the second worst film I have ever seen. Does this person believe that Walt Disney's alive? I don't There's a part of me that feels like this reviewer might be a child. Oh. Um, just based on the spelling of a lot of the words. Or three kids in a trench coat typing. Yeah. Walt Disney is freezing cold right now in a block of ice. He had nothing right. to do with this. If Walt Disney had watched Jungle to Jungle, he'd be turning over in his tiny freezer. I'd like to think it's a spacious <laughs> freezer, but yeah. Actually, the frozen castle was designed to look like Walt Disney's ice casket. That's crazy. I didn't know. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. 
We love to bring you all the most real, very real facts of cinema. Very true, very legal, <laughs> very cool. Oh boy, shall we get the fuck into the plot? Yeah, so we can get out of yeah, it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. We open over a wild looking jungle scene with some tribal pipe flute music. Yeah. That's what I'll call it. Sounds good. We see a young boy in a handmade canoe paddling down river and then scaling the side of a mountain. So he's just out in the wilderness living his best life. Cut to Wall Street, a bunch of dudes screaming at each other, just complete nonsense. I mean, they're already just like hitting us over the head with the comparison between Wall Street and the jungle. We're like, oh, we're so civilized, but look at Wall Street. And then we think the jungle is all barbaric and it's really beautiful. Yeah, who's really the animals here? So we see Tim Allen and Martin Short, who's just the fucking best. Tim Allen is clearly an asshole. We see him fly to this remote island, and he's supposed to meet his wife there, but she doesn't show up. He takes a boat, a little motorboat, over to this tribe, and turns out his wife left him several years ago to go live with this tribe and work as a doctor to people and pigs, and he has come there to finally get his the divorce papers signed. He goes there, but his boat leaves, trapping him on this island for a few days. So he gets left on this island with his ex-wife. So now, of course, we get like a little bit of backstory. He's on this island, still trying to work and like close business deals with Martin Short, who's back in New York, trying to like make a deal on coffee, which bugged the shit out of me the whole time because it just felt so weird and incorrect to be like, we're buying 500 shares of coffee. It just seemed so vague. It's hard to envision what what they're talking about and then there's times in the movie where they literally talk like they're selling coffee like that they're not selling yes. futures of the coffee they're like bringing coffee to this guy who is going to use it like it gets very confusing right and it seems like there must have been a reason for it but why wouldn't they just make it a little bit more simple it was just so strange they didn't do a great job at explaining no. and maybe it doesn't matter because it's a kids movie but they're just like business business stocks coffee you know all adult stuff he's doing all this business on some really high tech gear which is this gigantic suitcase that has a phone in it oh my god <laughs> With a huge satellite. The world's thickest laptop trying to, I imagine, create his own Wi-Fi out of, yeah, like a mini satellite dish (laughs) in the middle of this island. They were married and he just was married to his work more than his wife. So she essentially says, I left you because of the fifth phone line, which is like probably one of the most outdated sentences in this whole film. Right. I don't even I barely remember what that could mean. <laughs> like it just means that he's he's concentrated too much on business and he doesn't care about her anymore. Yeah, she's like somebody showed up to configure the fifth phone line in our apartment and they asked me if I was your secretary and I just knew I had to leave. So I packed up my stuff. So I guess he just let her go and they never officially got divorced. So he's like working on stocks and stocks and, you know, should we invest in coffee? I don't know. This is a wise investment. And Martin Short's like, send me the signal and you'll sell when I tell you to sell. And he puts in the thing to sell, but he doesn't press confirm. And the natives are all like pounding on his computer and looking at porn pop ups. And turns out when she fled, she was pregnant and never told him, and he has a 13-year-old son. His name is Mimi Siku. They're all allowed to choose their own names when they're old enough to do it. Mimi Siku roughly translates to cat piss. I was wondering whether, like, like is it piss or is it urine? Like, did she make the... the <laughs> Wait, what do you, what's the difference? I guess, why wouldn't she say cat urine? Or the translation. Or was she trying to, like, emphasize the point being like, oh, it's cat piss? Or is it actually, like, <laughs> the very specific... Translation of piss in Pinare. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. That's a good point. I don't know. That's a good point. We'll never know the direct translation. She says it's a territorial thing. So like marking your territory like a cat would with its piss. So Tim Allen is stuck on this island now. Now he knows he has a son. He has to sleep in the bachelor hut in a hammock surrounded by like a hundred farting tribesmen. (laughs) Yeah. Which of course is like, wouldn't be a 90s movie without it. It's exactly what I thought. By the way, this kid is like super well adjusted without him. What Jazz was saying before, he's doing great. He's like a really good natured person. He's like macking it with all these girls. He's nice. Yeah. It's not like, oh, 
come get your troubled kid who like never grew up without you and like never really learned how to be a man like he's great zero daddy issues whatsoever yeah he's fucking crushing it just has this level of like serenity he's just like serene chill at one with nature yeah not ruined by society and tim allen decides to try to connect with him by going out on the river with him one trope that is so dumb but i still enjoyed was like every time this dude puts his hand in the water he gets attacked by a piranha i love that (laughs) the piranhas when i was a kid freaked me out that scared me because I didn't know what piranhas were. Like, I didn't know that that was the thing. But we saw them a lot. Like, we were exposed to them a lot in movies. And again, like, felt like along with things like quicksand, this would be a much bigger issue. <laughs> yeah, right. Same right. with, like, leeches, you know? Right. Things that, like, of course. We were confronted with them a lot, but never had to deal. Nope. So. The one other thing to know about this sequence, we don't have to spend too much time on it. Every 30 seconds, there's something even more offensive that Tim Allen says about these people people oh yeah it's crazy like he says a lot of racist shit in this movie they are and in new york his wife's like please listen and he's like what choice do i have i'm stuck here with you and the village people until you celebrate banana nana fofana it's like what yeah 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 (laughs) really fucking like just and i get that he's supposed to be an asshole right but, like, you're presenting it that he's a funny asshole. Yes. You're not presenting it in a way where it's like, oh, he's offensive. He's really insensitive, we'll call it. So Mimi has a Statue of Liberty necklace from his mom. Statue of Liberty, as he translates to woman who holds fire up Sky's butt, <laughs> which is just fucking lazy. Yes, it is. He makes Tim Allen promise to take him to the city when he becomes a man. They shake on it. Mimi has made a promise that he will one day go to New York and bring back some of the fire from the Statue of Liberty for the chief of the village. Tim Allen gets, I'm just going to keep calling him by his first and last name, I guess. It's okay. We find out that Mimi has a pet tarantula. Tim gets chased on the beach by her for the first of many times throughout this film. It's kind of all they've got. This is also some of the only things that I have fun facts about this movie. Um... We're really going to have to... Uh, oh, don't do that when I drink water. Sorry, sorry. All your fun facts are about this spider. This spider. I've, I've got a couple more, Great. but like, <laughs> it's mostly about the spider. Okay. <laughs> so um, this place that they shot this, uh, this movie is where they shot arachnophobia. Whoa. I think that there's a lot of scary spiders there. And this spider is called a Goliath bird-eating spider. It's massive. It's the biggest spider in the world. And talking to Sam Huntington about this spider, he was rattling off all these facts. He had to work with an animal trainer, not to train the animal, but to train him around how to be around the animal without it attacking him. Oh, shit. I really assumed like most of it was shot with a fake spider slash like CGI. When he's getting chased by the spider, it's one of the most, the worst instances of that. But mostly it's a real spider. These things had like half inch fangs. If it bit you, it would go to your bone. Oh, yeah. Very scary spider. But he really doesn't like insects. He's really scared of them. But when he was hanging out with the spider, it was so big, it almost stopped feeling like an insect. It would feel like a little dog, like because it had pads on its feet. So I heard two conflicting stories. One is that they put caps on its fangs so it wouldn't bite. And then the other one, that they glued the fangs down. So I don't know which one is what? right, but Wait, one is to definitely worse. Glued them down to what? I don't know. I mean, I read about the caps, and then he said glued his fangs down. I have no idea how that would work. But regardless, he's essentially defanged, so he's not going to hurt you. But every time he handled this thing, he would have to wash his hands right away because they had these microscopic hairs that like itch like crazy right after you. They're like fiberglass almost. Ew. Okay, this is like maybe too much. Worst case scenario, I would just be like, "Why are you putting me in this position for this movie?" Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we're not making The Revenant. I mean, I do think if they had, like, a digitized spider, this would really go to shit. Like, I think that the fact that it's a real spider is good. Like, it makes all the spider scenes fine. Mm -hmm. And that thing looks crazy. Mm -hmm. It's gigantic. It does. It's horrifying. But at least we know, like, it's actual terror. Yeah. For everyone. Yeah, the Goliath bird-eating spider. Motherfucker eats birds. (laughs) Listen, so do we. It's a good point. We're not that different. You and I. You and I. So that evening, there is a ceremony in the village. Turns out it's essentially like a bar mitzvah. Mimi going from a boy to a man. He does this by holding his hand over a hot burning wooden spear. And he does it successfully. 
And now he's a man and it's like, boom, all right, take me to New York with you. And Tim Allen's like, oh, hell no, wait, that's not what I meant. Like, I have a life to go back to. I'm getting married. But Patricia really tells him off. And so, of course, he gives in. And he's also belittling his, like, whole culture. He's like, I don't care if you're a man in Panari or in your tribe. Like, that doesn't make you a man in the world. And yeah, uh, of course, that comes up later in the film where he realizes he is wrong. Correct. Uh, this kid has more balls than you ever will. Yeah. He's great. But of course, he gives in. Now Mimi Sika goes from the jungle to the concrete jungle on the plane, again, with no clothes or shoes, thanks to Baboon, which is what he's now calling his dad. I love that part, though. I love when he calls him Baboon. (laughs) I know. It's really sweet. He doesn't even question it. He's just like responds to it yeah he brings a bow and arrow <laughs> like this is yeah funny. like what <laughs> well there's a reason he's probably able to get onto the plane this way because this is pre 9-11 clearly because first day out he goes to work with dad in the world trade center yeah all the shots are of the world trade center which is come on like tasteless <laughs> <laughs> way too soon you guys like yeah way too soon <laughs> I mean, sucks. Sucks on so many levels. But like this movie was, it came out in 1997. So really not that long after that they're like, oh, shit. Now no one will be able to enjoy this movie without thinking of a tragedy and 9-11. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is weird seeing those shots, though, because you just remember what the World Trade Center is like. It was, wow, it was really, really cool. Yeah. So that was like jarring right away. So we then go to meet Tim's fiance, Charlotte or Charlie. She's a fashion designer and also a cunt. And a camera crew is following her around because they're doing a piece on her for the fashion channel. She's no Patricia. She's not. And there's a weird sexual energy between her and the guy that is filming this oh, for her. Oh, for sure. The like very posh British, but like also like skeezy director that's shooting the thing. Yeah, and- he keeps like taking the camera and putting it on him. There's a lot of physical comedy in there. None of it's very funny. <laughs> Well, it's just physical. (laughs) Yes, it's only physical. But I think it's like one of those things like keep this in your back pocket because, you know, this relationship will come up in later or maybe, you know, this person's not that great of a partner to him, which we already know, of course. We knew that before we ever met her. His whole life sucks or it's just all fake. You know, it's all like shallow, I should say. Nothing very meaningful in his life. Right. So... He has to tell her that he has a son all of a sudden. Obviously, she's not thrilled. But then Martin Short brings Mimi upstairs from the car and we meet his daughter. For the record, for whatever reason, I forgot her name was Lily and I thought it was Kiki. So all my notes say Kiki. <laughs> so I wrote, hello again, Kiki, which now makes no sense. <laughs> no, her name is Lily, but it, it's Kiki in Pinare. <laughs> that must be why. It's not even. It's not. <laughs> it's not even that. So Mimi sees Lily. <laughs> And it's like love at first sight. And then there's the producer who we talked about who's like so stereotypically British film producer. And he's like, you know, oi, the rainforest is a hot issue. Being associated with this jungle bloke is good for your brand. And I wish I was paraphrasing. It's like basically what he says. So Yeah, I think that's actually what he says. (laughs) She immediately for... I guess because plot points invites this child from the jungle to a very posh dinner with a very high profile fashion editor, which is a terrible idea. But of course, we're going to do it. Yeah, because we need to introduce some like conflict right away. Yes. Yeah. And boy, do we get it because two seconds later, Tim is teaching Mimi how to use a toilet and Mimi ends up on the building ledge in the sky, just like 40 floors up is like scaling the side of this building to get a look at the Statue of Liberty because of course like he's obsessed with seeing the Statue of Liberty so Timon has to get him down and he's freaking out and yelling at him and it's interesting that they have kind of that moment so early on where he yells at him for going on the ledge but then he immediately like hugs him and it's like like you can tell he's like really scared of losing him or something like it's it happens so quick that it's not very believable like it should be like a really right. nice build up to like a one scene where he hugs him and he realizes he doesn't want to lose him but it happens right away a right away where he's hugging him like a parent does to their own child being like i was so you scared me you know which should be a great moment but it is it's too quick it just it comes a little early yeah also this scene actually looks really cool 
cool. Yes, it does. Them on that building is wild. So they put that actor up on that 26 stories up. They had him on a cable, but like still, there's a lot Oof. of stuff here that they're really doing and putting this this young boy in danger. Too much danger in this film. Come on, you guys. We needed him to survive this and go be in not another teen movie. So how dare you? We needed that. And he did that for us. He sure did. I do like that. They go back inside. And Mimi's like, baboon scared? And Tim Allen's like, yes, baboon scared. Baboon's pants a little damp. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, cut to this very swanky NYC dinner party. And of course, like within seconds, Mimi Siku's up on the counter eating cat food, which is apparently so foul that someone faints. Yeah. There's another really good line here. Where the old woman, like, she's just the worst. She comes in, she's like, you know, I don't eat dairy. I don't eat this and that for dinner. And I don't touch preservatives. And Tim Allen's like, obviously. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And I also wrote a note. She looks like Yzma kind of a little bit. She does look like Yzma. Well done. Well done. We'll bring it all full circle. If you haven't listened to our episode on Emperor's New Groove, go back and listen. You'll learn so much about Sting. You'll love it. Yeah. Later that night, Tim Allen and his fiance are fighting because, you know, she's like, well, you changed the rules. You know, they had agreed they never wanted kids. And the way she phrases it is like, you were going to be my child and I was going to be your child, which is like, I've never heard anybody Very strange. say it that way when they decide not to have kids. He assures her that Mimi's just visiting and then they can go back to being wrapped up in themselves. But it's clear he's already getting a little attached to him, mm -hmm. like, you know, tucking him into his hammock and playing with his blow dart he like blow darts himself in the foot loves that blow dart the blow dart is pretty much like neck and neck with the tarantula for bits in this movie it's those two things and i'm like where is he getting all of these darts that are clearly like poison darts because as soon as you shoot yourself with it you pass out they're like sedatives yeah i mean the, the little kid at the end just literally touches it for a second and then it gets knocked out so like right yeah so he shoots himself in the foot and passes out on the balcony that's gotta be well it was the 90s but today that apartment would probably be like 10 million dollars yeah I mean, it's massive. Well, I mean, when he's in the jungle, he references how his shoes are $500. I thought he said $5,000. If it's $5,000, whatever it is, it's twice as much money today. So it would right. be $1,000. <laughs> like, right. he's super duper rich. Yeah. Between the two of them. Right. The, him and uh, Martin Short, but also somehow no, like- him and him and his fiance. Oh, right. Yeah. And him and his fiance. Martin Short's not splitting the rent with him, I'm pretty sure. I couldn't figure out, like, do they work for- Oh. I guess they do work for a company, but what is Martin Short? Like, who is he? Is he his assistant? I know. They're like partners in trading, I guess, yeah, I for know. a company. I don't know. Anyway, next morning we wake up. Mimi Siku is hunting pigeons with a bow and arrow, which I have to say is probably <laughs> one of my favorite scenes in the movie. There's like a woman in the apartment below that's just like too close with the pigeons which to me is just fucking disgusting and he yeah. just shoots one with a bow and arrow right in front of her and she's screaming bloody murder it just sticks it to the wall like, it's so disgusting that is one scene i remember I, that was so funny when i was a kid it was the blow dart thing and the shooting the birds i don't know what it was but yeah when i was a kid i loved those blow dart scenes tim allen's like whoa dude like you don't need to be hunting for your food anymore here, eat this Captain Crunch, you know, just pour some milk on top of it. And Mimi Siku takes like one handful of Captain Crunch and immediately you can see the look of pain on his face. It's like we talked about last yes. week. Like you can tell it's just like razor blades in his mouth. Yes, because there's no equivalent to Captain Crunch in the forest. Like <laughs> I couldn't tell whether he was really psyched to be eating it, but then it was pretty clearly like I made a big mistake. He's like, Mimi Siku has eaten literal porcupines and this cereal <laughs> is way worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I guess that's an equivalent. Of course he like never told the kid how to use a bowl, so he just like poured out cereal on the counter and then covered it in milk. He's not helpful at all. No. He expects this kid to figure everything out and then yells at him when he can't. It's like, you are the person that needs to, like, ferry him through this experience. Like, yeah, if he was a regular 13-year-old, yeah, you probably could just leave him at your apartment with your fiancé, you know, and a Game Boy, and he would be fine. But, like, right. this kid has been living in the jungle for 13 years. And every day Mimi's asking Tim to go to the Statue of Liberty, and every day he's like, we'll do it tomorrow, we'll do it tomorrow. 
And he's like, you always say tomorrow. And he's like, well, I have to go to work. It's my obligation. And he's like, well, what's an obligation? He defines it to him as like basically something you have to do that you don't want to do, which comes up later. So naturally, Mimi loses his tarantula in the apartment and is looking for it. And he wanders into Charlotte's room and checks in the bed that she's sleeping in, <laughs> looks under the covers at her and says, nice poochie poochie. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, that's the last poochie poochie you're going to see around here, you little savage. And I was like, oh, really poor choice of words all around. Just like <laughs> Disney, Disney. I was surprised they got that in there. Yeah, me too. I guess because it's a made up word, we can get away with it. It's vague enough. Yeah, but still. But we all know. We, we know all what know what about. poochie poochie means. Okay. And you know what? Why should she wear underwear to bed? It's not even, It's not good for you. It's a good point. You should be as comfortable as possible. I don't know why I'm defending her, but... Yeah, she's the worst also. Yeah, she sucks. She's super vapid and annoying. But Mimi goes for a walk around the city. He escapes the apartment and Charlie is trapped in the bathroom because the tarantula is after her. We leave her there with that. Um, it was crazy because... God, Times Square just looked so different yeah. when he's wandering around the city. It's just like kind of crazy. Like it's not, I guess I was going to say it's not that long ago, but it is. It's it is almost really 30 ago. years ago. Yeah. Oof. It's fuck. 30 years ago is the 70s. Yeah, that to me it is. But I guess 30 years ago was when we could listen to Shaking the Tree, Jungle Version, as performed by Peter Gabriel and Shaggy, which is the song that was playing. <laughs> Wow, really good. First of all, I never knew that Peter Gabriel and Shaggy did a duet, but oh, I guess that's like the friends. most 90s thing you could possibly have done. It is so, it's so strange. It's like this very regular Peter Gabriel song, and then every once in a while it's like, it's all good. You know, it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> just kind of interjects. It's such a strange no. song. No. Peter Gabriel, whose music typically is like the most tear-jerking, like beautiful music of all time. Like, I played a Peter Gabriel song, like as like the procession of my wedding was walking. You were in my wedding. Yes. You walked down the aisle to a Peter Gabriel song, <laughs> and I made sure there was no Shaggy at my wedding whatsoever. <laughs> no one even helped out with a nice little Shaggy, you know, <laughs> aside. I, that would have been on you, probably out of anyone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I dropped the ball so many times that day. Yeah. Not for nothing, you guys, but Dan was really a handful at my wedding. We can get into that another time. <laughs> uh, long story short, I thought I had COVID, COVID and scare. I almost ruined the whole, the whole thing. And I thought Jazz's mom was going to literally kill me. <laughs> but... <laughs> my mom pulled me aside and was like, we're going to make this all disappear. And I was like, oh, she's going to murder Dan. Yeah, we're going to make this little boy disappear. I was cool with it because that was before we had a podcast. But then I would have been like, oh, man, but the podcast. Anyway. <laughs> right, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> back on track. So Mimi's just living his best life, exploring the city, you know, all the classics, walking through the Washington Square Park fountain, giving homeless people dead pigeons to eat, which would probably help with the homelessness problem by killing them off with That's disease. Point. That's what Rudy did. So I got them all out when he was married. <laughs> Shut down all the porn stores and murder all the homeless people. Yeah. Ah, New York. I love these scenes of him discovering New York. It's like the same thing as Home Alone 2. Except in Home Alone, he doesn't murder the pigeons. No, no. He helps them. He uses them to his advantage. Yeah, actually. He uses them as a weapon. He harnesses the power of the pigeons. Right. Um, naturally, he climbs the Statue of Liberty. The police are called. Everyone's freaking out. And he also realizes in this moment that the fire on top of the Statue of Liberty isn't real fire, which is a bummer. It's all a farce. Yeah. Tim Allen is not stoked to pick him up from the police station. And Mimi's like, look, you told me you were going to take me. And it's always tomorrow. And Tim's like, I had other things going on. Mimi's like, so why did you bring me here? And Tim's like, because I had an obligation. And it's like, oh, no. Trigger yeah. word. So Mimi gets really upset. He takes off running. He's just running through traffic at the financial district. But Tim eventually catches up to him. They have a little heart to heart and apology. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to show you how to live in my jungle, which oh, here's the, probably the, one of the most cringy parts of the whole movie for me. He's like, well, if you want to go somewhere, just wave your hand. So he waves his hand and a taxi pulls up. And Mimi's like, it's magic. And he goes, no, it'll be magic if he speaks English. And 
the cab driver is like clearly a white dude in a turban as the cab driver. Oh, you th- was he a white dude? I could be reading the actor wrong. To me, he looked like a white dude with a bronzer on and a turban. Oof, but regardless of whether it was actually a Middle Eastern person, probably the most racist line in the film. Yeah, and it just kind of gets pushed under the rug. And then after that that cab ride, the guy's like, you call this a tip? And it's like, and you didn't even <laughs> tip him. Such a jerk. Bad, bad Disney. Bad, bad, bad. The whole time this is going on, they've been trying to like correct this bad investment. Him and Martin Short. Martin Short is just like super high strung, trying to figure out like how to fix this, how to get rid of this stock that they didn't sell when they were supposed to. Finds a buyer, ends up making a deal with the Russian mafia, which again, like why do we need this in Disney movie? I don't know. They're in like the meatpacking district in a fish market. They get handed a suitcase full of cash. So now they're like laundering money for the Russian mafia. It's all so confusing. Like, why isn't this, like you said, like, why does this have to be under the table at all? Why does this need to be a plot point in the movie? I have no idea. We had enough going on. It is so useless. And like, they don't build up the people at all, the villains. They act in ways that nobody would ever, it's just, it's just a disaster. It's very two-dimensional. It's very cliche. It's just like, well, we need one more complication. Right. But Tim Allen's like, shut it down, end this deal right now. I wrote, P.S. The physical comedy of Martin Short is always chef's kiss. So good. Accurate. So they're like, you know what? Screw this. Tim and Mimi are like, let's go to Central Park. So they go shopping at Nautica. That's where <laughs> all the cool boys shop in the 90s. Of course. And there's a band singing in Central Park. Mimi Siku starts a cute dance party, and it's just so New York. Like, you know, it's like a melting pot of people. Love Tim it. Allen's getting into it. There's even an Orthodox Jewish man dancing. And I felt represented, so. Exactly. So a little of everything for everyone. Charlotte's pissed off because she's been held hostage by a spider all day and storms out. And so, like, Mimi's talking to him and is, like, about Charlie being, like, well, you know, apologizing, just being, like, I really, I want her to like me. And he's, like, you have so many women in your village. Why pick only one? And he's, like, well, when you pick one to love, you just have a picture of them in your head that's so big it blocks out all the other ones. I was, like, there's probably a more romantic way to explain that. Even so, I still think that this might be the best like the closest this movie comes to being heartfelt and like genuine yeah like an actual father son like i'm gonna teach you some things about life moment yeah i again the closest it comes doesn't mean that it's great but like i think that it might be the closest it comes and unfortunately like he's just reinforcing patriarchal structures like you know (laughs) why not let him know that like monogamy isn't the only way you're in new york for god's sake yeah, that's right. Live a little. He's clearly in the way. So <laughs> Tim Allen decides he's going to drop Mimi Siku at Martin Short's country home to spend the night just so that he and Charlie can have some quality time and smooth things over. He's got a son who's a little smart ass, his wife, and Kiki, a.k.a. Lily, a.k.a. Karen. Karen is his daughter. And so, of course, he's very happy to see her again. They're definitely crushing on each other. Oh, very hard. And actually, like, I think that they have great chemistry throughout the whole movie. They do. Their love connection is, like, better than any of the adult acting in this film. Oh, of course. I think they're great. And there's also, for the last, like, 20 seconds, I've been trying to find the name of this thing. But this kid's playing a Game Boy. And he's got this, like, attachment. Yeah. It's, like, a huge thing in there. It's massive. And I found this thing. I I spent probably, like, an hour trying to find this the other night. And then, I, of course, I forgot to write the name down. But it, like, adds brightness and enlarges the screen. But it enlarges the screen, like, by, like, 1.2 times. And you're looking at it through a magnifying glass. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, like, hangs over the top of it. Yes. So it has that. It, like, shoots lights into it so you can... It's basically glasses for your Game Boy. (laughs) Yes. And then it has these gigantic things at the bottom that are speakers and if you can remember what Game Boy sounded like, it's like, like it's, <laughs> you don't need to like blast that. <laughs> so imagine that in crystal clear clarity coming out of the bottom of your Game Boy. Yeah. Oh, man, I fucking loved my Game Boy. I love my Game Boy. 
still do love my Nintendo Switch. So Seems nothing changes. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The more they stay the same. Who says that? Snake Bliskin in Escape from L.A. <laughs> Is that a serious? I mean, he says it in that. I don't know if it's that. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting you to be like Bob Dylan. <laughs> I don't know what the origin for it, but um, oh, Jean Baptiste uh, Alphonse Carr, <laughs> not, not Snake Plissken, but you know, same, <laughs> <laughs> same diff. Yeah. Anyway, somebody said it, and we're saying it now. So now, next time you say who said that, you can say Jazz and Dan on the Millennial Movie Club podcast, and nobody else. Yeah, and then they could say it was you. Yeah. <laughs> Pay it forward. Yeah. So while all this is happening, the coffee prices are plunging. We find out that Martin Short ended up going through with the deal with the Russian mafia and forging Tim Allen's signature. Now he's walking around the city with a million dollars in cash in a suitcase. That's a whole debacle. That's what's going on in the New York front. Back in the country, Mimi Sigu did not like frozen fish sticks. So he goes and <laughs> takes all of the exotic and very expensive fish out of the what he calls house pond, aka that. the fish tank, and roasts them over a spit in the backyard. And feeds them to the wife. <laughs> it's like her pets. Right. And she's like, well, <laughs> she's a pretty cute actress, that lady. Yeah, I think she's pretty good. Didn't talk about her, but she does a good job. Uh, she's like, well, I'll try anything once. <laughs> if I saw some random kid from the jungle was staying with me and roasting fish over a spit in my yard no i would not i would take a bite anything once i would take a bite of course you (laughs) then he'd be like this is your childhood pet this is your foster dog (laughs) winkles (laughs) i mean of course he tells her where he got them and you know she just kind of freezes but i think in reality if he found out you were eating your pet it would be a lot of yeah, I think you puke just, immediately. Yeah, immediately and cry. I would cry. So Tim's back at the apartment trying to smooth things over with Charlotte. Of course, he accidentally blowed our her cat. <laughs> we watch him for like 10 minutes play with the least realistic looking toy cat. It's just a stuffed animal. It's just truly a stuffed animal that he's just fucking around with i don't think they're expecting anybody to buy it no it's still kind of funny but it it goes on for way too long like it's funny and it just like i think they were like this is kind of all we got yeah we we need to fill this out back in the country martin short blows a fit when he gets home yells at mimi for eating ten thousand dollars worth of sushi (laughs) so mimi feels bad he goes into the little pond they have behind their house in the evening um, to try and catch more fish for the fish tank. Very sweet thing to do. Very sweet. He's trying his best. Yeah. And of course, he can just like stand in the middle of the pond and catch them with his hands because, you know. It's like a 14-pound bass or whatever he's catching. Right. Like, what, what are they doing in this lake? Huge fish. <laughs> Daughter Karen comes out to help him. Next thing we know, he's giving her a face tattoo and a tribal name which is ukume, which means sound of rain on river water, which is actually so beautiful. Yeah, their love is real. This is the realest. He's like the only true man, stand-up man in this movie. Yes, 100%. He's like so calm and collect. That's the only unbelievable thing. Him and this girl are like standing face to face. I guess because he had so many like side pieces back in his home. But like he is not phased at all. I mean, he is thrown on the charm and she is like, I mean, they're like falling in love and he, they're not backing off or being like awkward about it. He's not had his whole nervous system wrecked by dunkaroos and you know all the shit we grew up eating like he's just been like in nature eating fresh fish and like meditating under the stars you know and he's a man yeah he's a man 13 years old not a zit in sight nope when i was like looking up like what people had to say about this every single person was like i had a massive crush on this kid it's his energy it's his whole energy he had that amber energy <laughs> 311 if you're listening. You got to be man. We'd like an addition to the Jungle to Jungle soundtrack done by you. And featuring Shaggy if you would not mind. Thank you. About love at 13. Oh, 13, 311. Whoa. <laughs> it didn't really work. But... 21, 21, 21. <laughs> so, she kisses him actually. It's so cute. And I was like, actually they did this really well. It's just like a really adorable closed mouth kiss mm-hmm. with her eyes like wide open looking around and just like a very sweet kind of 
portrayal of like what it actually is to fall in love at 13. Yeah. I loved it. I love this scene. I love everything about them. It was probably the best acted scene in the whole movie. Yeah. Next morning, though, Martin Short wakes up and finds them sleeping in the hammock together and screams. And he's like, you're putting the moves on my 12-year-old daughter. And she's like, dad, it's not true. It's not true. I was putting the moves on him. <laughs> yeah. I would just say, I think I might be pretty scared and upset if I found my 12-year-old daughter with it, but it's a hammock. What are you going to do? They're like basically sitting up, right. you know, but uh, he wants to just immediately send her to an all-girls camp, so she locks herself in her room. Meanwhile, coffee prices are going up and down and up and down, and the Russian mafia thinks they're being screwed over, so they are coming after Martin Short. The one thing that's very confusing about this is you constantly forget who has the coffee shares. And whether it's a good thing if the coffee prices are going up or a bad thing. And Correct. an extra added layer of complication is that they don't want to do well because then they'll be in trouble with the Russian mob because then they will think that they screwed them. Right. So it's like when you're they're reporting on like the coffee prices, you're like, okay, tell me how to think about this. I have no idea. Right. Is it good? Is it bad? We don't want it to drop, but then we don't want it to sell them and then go up. Yeah. Dumb it down for me. Yeah. We do get the sense, however, that the Russian mafia is pissed. They also do like a terrible job at portraying how the mafia works. Okay. <laughs> they would never be like the head of a mafia. Drive out to your country house with two cronies to get the job done. You know what I mean? Like they send one guy to just pop you in your car and that would be it. Maybe I fundamentally don't understand this plot because like you said, why are they dealing with the mafia at all? Because the boss was like, if you don't get rid of these shares basically was going to fire them but like right but we're within the law right now this is all legal over the table stuff yeah what is going on i couldn't tell you i have no good excuse i just know that they're doing it all wrong so martin short becomes aware that they're gonna they're fucking coming for his ass <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> wait why is Clip that funny? <laughs> martin short becomes aware that they're going they're fucking coming for his ass. Uh, just <laughs> yeah, clip that. So the mafia's coming after him, but his daughter has locked herself in her room and he's trying to get her out. Tim shows up to pick up Mimi, goes to help Marty break down the door of Kiki's room, am I right? They run at the door together. Mimi opens the door. They run through the room, out the door, other door, off the balcony, landing on a picnic table, which was just like so extra. Too late, Mafia's at the house taking them all hostage, like literally about to murder this whole family. The mob boss wants the coffee certificates and the son sells Martin Short out in like two seconds, just like immediately tells him where they are. The Russian mobster is about to chop Marty's finger off and then Mimi throws a tarantula on his head. The whole family starts attacking these the mafia. It's just absurd. It's I know so that absurd. like this is supposed to be absurd, but it's really absurd. Especially because we're talking about the mafia, yeah. the Russian mafia. That is a real thing. <laughs> And you're going to show me this white suburban family of four that are just like three stooging them. Yeah, right. He's like, oh, I hate spiders. You know, like, oh, my only weakness. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> this guy chops people's fingers off. Okay. Right. And then like, you know, Tim accidentally shoots the wife in the forehead with the blow dart. So she passes out. The son pokes his own finger with the blow dart and passes out. Marty's daughter knocks him out with the vase. Everyone's knocking each other out Mimi is like submitting one of these guys into an unconscious state with some like thumb pressure on his neck yeah knocking him out and then they end up scaring the russian mafia away like chasing them to their car with the spider yeah like literally they just leave yeah they're like okay okay we're leaving <laughs> oh too bad we can't come back with someone who's not afraid of spiders and just hurt you right like what about the other two guys they're all three of them are deathly afraid of spiders even though they are equipped with guns well let's say they go back to their lair right and it's like how'd it go Oh, I don't know, man. There is just... The mafia lair? Yeah. It's like underground. <laughs> the underground. There's like stalactites and everything. It's an actual It's cave. a literal cave. Um, and they're like, so how did it go? It's like, yeah, I mean, they just had a spider and then, uh, I don't know, like it, it was all happened so quickly. A lady jumped on my back. Right. Somebody got on my back. I, I, we just had to leave. This This kid kept biting our inner thigh. Yeah, over and over again. It's like, so they still have... Their certificates, right? And it's like, yeah. Okay. I'll just go get them right now. 
I'll just literally go kill them. I'll go get them right now. We know they're they, they're not going to move. We know where they live. They're coming back. Yeah. They're definitely coming back. Another little throw to uh, Home Alone, except like Home Alone was actually way more realistic yes, right. <laughs> in that moment. Right. Never thought I'd say that, but. Right. Here we are. It was. So we conquer that. Mimi's like, all right. I'm over this. I'm ready to go home. I miss my mom. And you can see Tim is a little bit like doesn't want him to go. But Mimi's sad. He's like, I failed the chief. I didn't get him the fire from the Statue of Liberty. But before he gets on the plane, Tim gives him a lighter of the Statue of Liberty so you can like turn it on and real fire comes out. Also, like pretty sure you could not take that on a plane, but. Probably can't take that one either. But if he's getting the bow and arrow on and the poison darts, I think that they're going to be fine with the lighter. So pre 9-11 flying. Anything Do whatever goes. The fuck you want. Lawless. The good old days. Mimi gets on the plane and is so sad, but you can see like Tim gave him a phone to plug into nothing. <laughs> right. And oh no, it it does. Uh, I saw it at the like one of the last shots. It has like a bunch of solar panels, so I'm guessing that that's their workaround there. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, you don't buy that. I don't buy it. <laughs> it's not how phones work, and that's not how the mafia works. Nothing works. Get it right or pay the price. <laughs> so <laughs> Tim's back to his old life, his old fiance, his old job, and it's clear he's miserable. They're back on Wall Street. So throughout the whole movie, Mimi Siku is like catching flies with the blow darts to feed to the tarantula. There's a fly on Tim's boss's back. And for whatever reason, he thinks it's a good idea to shoot a blow dart at it. He does kill the fly. Amazing. Because he's had terrible aim this whole movie. But he nails that fly. This is the sign we needed. Also, like, pretty sure he's fired or his boss is going to press charges. Yeah. I mean, he knocks him out in the middle of the trading floor. Correct. Nobody seems to notice. Nope. Absolute chaos. So he takes the blow dart out. With the fly on it, next thing we know, he's on the beach surprising Mimi Siku. He decides to come back and visit him on the island for a while. Mimi Siku's like, how's Karen? And he's like, why don't you ask her yourself? Martin Short's whole family's there too. Actually, this is making more sense now because they're probably on the run from the Russian Yes, that's absolutely right. (laughs) Just like Matilda's parents going (laughs) Going to Guam. Guam. Everyone's got to go. Guam is going to be crowded by the end of these 90s movies. Everyone's got to flee something to Guam. <laughs> and then it's like, you know what? We were all trading in our normal lives to go back to live on this island like Mimisiku does. You know, credits roll. It's Tim's manhood ceremony. Of course, he burns the shit out of his hands. And that is the film. Yeah. I've got one last fun fact if you want to hear. I mean, please. The last two scenes they needed for the rainforest filming, it rained for like two days straight. And it was like Venezuelan rain season. And Tim Allen got bit like 16 times by this ant and he said it was horrible. But (sighs) it was raining so badly, they didn't know if they could get the Jeeps up out of this like big pit because it was filling with water. Their electricity went out. The porta potties were swept away in the storm. Oh my god! They looked up in the sky. It's like a little tiny time slot of a good weather. They just start rapidly trying to create the scene. The white sand beaches had like turned to mud. So there were crew members with like seventy barrels of sand that were like throwing sand for the small top layer so it would work out. They got the two takes in, which were the uh, when he's in the loincloth in the beginning, and then this one where he's grabbing that torch. They like yelled cut, and then the rain started, and then they were able to leave. But if they didn't get it, they would have to like need to come back for a whole nother ordeal. That sounds miserable. Yeah. Oh, God. And then it wasn't even worth it. Then their movie got fucking panned by everyone. It did. People really didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, final thoughts. We can... Um. Okay. Martin Short's great. Love the kids. Tim Allen's character is stupid and poorly conceived. The plot is awful. It's really, really bad. Some of this movie looks really cool, though. Like, a lot of it was really done. You know, him on the top of, like, the Statue of Liberty. It's like, wow, that looks pretty cool. Overall, it's just kind of boring. It is it's boring. It's just boring. But the thing is that I looked back on this movie fondly. So I'm sure a bunch of people yeah. did. A bunch of kids, you know, a bunch of people our age. So it can just ride that out. And people be like, oh, Jungle to Jungle. I love that movie. Sorry to ruin it for everyone who's listening right now. <laughs> I'd love to hear if someone watches this movie again and likes it. I'd love to hear what you liked about it. There, there are good parts about Truly. it. But like, it's just kind of boring. Did not live up to what I was hoping. No. For sure. All right. How are we rating it? Oof. 
after all, saying all that, I feel like it's not terrible. Again, like what Roger Ebert said, it's just not that good. I'm going to give it four plates of bad bladder. Totally fair. I agree with you. I was bored. There weren't <laughs> enough, there were not enough likable characters. The conflicts weren't interesting. They were just like exactly what you would expect and a lot of just like repeating the same conflicts over and over. You know, it's just the fish out of water trope that we've seen about a billion times. And it wasn't, with the exception of Martin Short, it wasn't funny enough to make us want to watch that trope mm-hmm. again in a new way. You know, like there are tons of tropes that have been done a million times, but if you make it enjoyable enough, we don't care. Yeah, of you course. Know? Princess yeah. Diaries. You know right. what I mean? But again, great child actors. <sighs> Tim Allen just it just like kind of annoys me how much he was phoning it in in this movie. Yeah, like this could have been the prequel to the Santa Claus. Was it after or before? I think it was after, right? I thought he wanted to. He took like a, a break after the Santa Claus to try to find something that he really wanted to do, and it was this, which is really strange. Yeah, the Santa Claus was 1994, <laughs> so he's like. I'm only going to come out of my weird retirement for a, an absolute gem. <laughs> really special project. I want to stretch right. myself. Same shit. Just cranky dude softens over time. Yes, but that's a great <laughs> version of this, but it's not believable at all for this one. I'm going to give this movie two poochie poochies. Nice. I'm not nice. I mean, woof. Well, most men should be very appreciative for two poochie poochies. That's a good point. And that's four poochie. Really anyone who likes poochie. I'm not going to just just leave it to the men. Poochie enthusiasts, you know. <laughs> That's all I can possibly say about this film any longer. Yes, but I think if we could leave you with one thing, go look at what that kid looked like and think of Eleven. Seriously. I think maybe you'll enjoy this movie more if you just look at it as a prequel to Stranger Things. Yeah, it exists in the same universe somehow. A just mm-hmm. much less mm-hmm. interesting universe. Or wait, wait, no. <laughs> a way more racist universe. A less interesting sect of this universe. Same universe, but not a lot of fun stuff is happening. Cool. Well, thanks so much for listening. If you've gotten this far, we're a big fan of you. Make sure to go rate and review the podcast if you're loving it. Send us suggestions to movies you'd like to hear us talk about. And not for nothing, little shameless plug, me, myself, Jazz Zapatos, has put out a single that is the first single off the comedy album that I'm putting out. So if you like funny songs and you like plants, go check me out on Spotify under Jazz Zap. The song's called Plant Daddy. Get in early. Do your TikTok dance to it now because it's going to blow up. Shit's about to blow up. Seriously. If you do the dance challenge for my song and post it and tag us, we're going to think of a really cool prize. (laughs) (laughs) We're really good at thinking on our feet and being creative on this podcast. I hope that's a good incentive. (laughs) I've given all I can give. I just don't have anything left. And it's been really good to be back with y'all today, I gotta say. Yeah, thank you so much if you stuck around for uh, our little short break and we're really excited for the second season or whatever we're going to call this. So. Whatever this is. <laughs> we're really excited. Love you guys. <laughs> Talk See you next to you later. Week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Movie Club. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and write us a glowing review. We are millennials. We kind of need the validation. For even more goodies, be sure to follow Millennial Movie Club on TikTok and Instagram. Later, later days. days.